Hello, everyone, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I am your host, James Williams, and today I talk to Jeff Mitchell, who is the host of the Frogcast, a podcast talking about TCU athletics. I talked to Jeff about the recent realignment that happened today. We had more schools fall. We had Oregon, Washington go to the Big Ten. We had Utah and both Arizona schools make their bids toward the Big 12. We talk a little bit about that. We don't necessarily talk all the minutiae details about that, but we do get into it a little bit. So if you don't care about that stuff, if you're tired about realignment talk, maybe fast forward the podcast to about the 10 minute mark. And that's when we start talking about TCU football. We talked to Jeff about last year's season. How is his emotions after the way last year's season ended? Is Max Duggan potentially the greatest TCU quarterback of all time after last season? Looking forward to 2023. How is Kendall Bryles, the new offensive coordinator, going to change this offense? Can Chandler Morris replicate what Max Duggan did in 2022? Is this TCU defense better than they were last year? Can TCU potentially make a run at a Big 12 title? Remember, they didn't win the Big 12 title last year. That was Kansas State. We talk a few other Big 12 topics. Is Texas for real? Can Oklahoma win a Big 12 title in their last year or... Are they going to be going on into the SEC on a little bit of a downward spiral? We talk a bunch of Big 12 stuff. We talk for about 45 minutes. Jeff is a guy with a lot of energy. He's got a lot of opinions. And without any further ado, here's my conversation with Jeff Mitchell. Joining us is Jeff Mitchell, who is the host of the Frogcast, part of 24-7 sports coverage on TCU Athletics. Jeff, I wanted to talk about TCU football today and Big 12 football today, but the realignment talks are taking over everything. Pac-12 looks like it's dead. Arizona coming to the Big 12. Oregon, Washington going to the Big 10. What are just your overall thoughts on that? This is three straight summers around this period of time where we've had massive realignment news. We've had Texas-Oklahoma in 21, USC-UCLA in, in 22, and, and I think this is just the inevitable byproduct of everything that's been shifting for the last three years for, for college football. I, I am, as a Big 12 fan, I'm excited for Arizona, for Colorado. You know, we all, we, well, that's old news now. You know, Colorado is, is in the Big 12. And we're recording this on a Friday at 3 o'clock. And it looks as if Arizona is in. And then they're leaning on Arizona State and uh, Utah. I think that's good for the conference. You know, some people will constantly lament that, you know, we're not in the Big 12, or we're not in the Big 10 or in the SEC. Um, my hunch is in, in seven years, about a third of the teams left in the ACC and the Big 12 will be absorbed into some AFC, NFC of college football, maybe half of them. And what they'll end up doing is breaking it down into smaller divisions, which will look eerily similar to the old-fashioned conferences that we had when I was a kid. So realignment is is annoying. It I, I do think it's breaking a lot of the spirit of what makes college football great, which is rivalries. Going to your going to work on Monday and being able to brag to your your coworker that went to the rival school that we won. Uh, a lot of that's going away, and it, it it's I miss blockbuster too. So there's not much I can do about it. So we 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 take it for what it is. I do think it puts the Big Twelve in a spot where they are now the number three conference, no matter what. The only thing the Big 12 doesn't have is a Clemson, which can win a national title, 
But as we saw last year, which we'll get into, that it can produce a team that can play for a national title. And I think, honestly, the number of teams that can win a national title is, is getting smaller and smaller by the year. Um, I, I don't think Michigan can win a national title. I don't think USC can win a national title. I think it's Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Clemson, and Ohio State. And maybe somebody can make a, a big run at it. So, you know, you're an Iowa State fan. I'm a huge TCU fan. I, I don't want to, you know, just give up. But, you know, we reach the heights of what I think our program is capable of right now. And I don't I don't feel like that makes means I should cash in as a fan. So I think we got to return to the love of what college football is. And realignment does a good job of trying to undercut that. The part on the realignment, there's a lot of stuff there that I really am interested in talking about with you there. The realignment part of it, what else the Big 12 adds, that's all a part of like what the TV partners want. And it's does the TV partners want to add Arizona State and Utah, basically, because those look like the two other two have the team go to 16 because it's because the Big 12 is basically on an eight year contract with their media deal. It's thirty one million dollars a year. So do these TV partners want to basically invest like a half a billion dollars to add two more schools? Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. That's kind of, well, from the tea leaves I've read, why the Pac-12 is dying. Because all of their potential media partners have, like, Apple's had layoffs, Amazon's had layoffs, ESPN had a bunch of layoffs. So they really don't want to be just throwing out a bunch of money. And that's kind of why all this, you know, dissipated. The thing that's made the Big 12 strong, and I've talked about this a few times before, is that it was either eat or be eaten. They're The Big 12 and the Pac-12 are both on the island. They're both starving. And it was either eat each other or die. And it looks like the Big 12 is living and the Pac-12 is dying. As far as like the thing I'm the, the second part of what you said there that I kind of have thought about in a way is... I'm not sure if we have a 12-team playoff, if things change. Because part of getting the 12-team playoff now is there's more people that are going to have like a chance. And, you know, when you have the NCAA tournament in basketball, there's so many teams, there's so many, so much randomness that can happen. I have no idea if a 12-team playoff is going to just create more randomness because you have to win two or three games to, you know, make it to win a championship. And... It might, it might not. I actually do think TCU is in a great spot. And I don't know if you have anything else to stay on top of that, or maybe we can get into, you know, our TCU talk this season. Well, two things on that. One, I think we missed an opportunity for the eat or be eaten to make a, 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 the Donner family joke about Utah. <laughs> we just, I'm just going to let that one go. But that's kind of where it is, is the, the, the Big 12 was in a spot to whether they would just simply blow in the wind and I want to give, on the way out the door, Bob Bowlesley credit. I don't think he was a great Big 12 administrator, but shoring up the conference to be in a spot to get a good media deal with the four best available teams that they could get. UCF, I feel, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the come on UCF. I think they're a strong program in the middle of a location that has recruits and people that love college football. And they're spitting Former out more national alumni. champions. Former national champions. I support them in that bid. Uh, but they, they're spitting out tons of alumni. And that's, in the end, what the Big 12 needs are people that go to games and love their program. Obviously, Cincinnati's made the playoff. I think Houston is as much a geographic choice as it is a programmatic choice. And BYU has a, a, a higher floor. The ceiling might be low, but the floor is really high. And 
you know, when you're literally born into a faith that tells you to cheer for BYU, that does not hurt. <laughs> and so I know they have a serious fan base in a big university and obviously some faith connections that, that encourage people to support BYU. Um, so on that front, I, I, I feel good about what the choices the, BY, the, the Big 12 has made. But the best choice the Big 12 has made is hiring Brett Yormark. And he went, we went from having a very passive stately country club director and, uh, uh, of the Big 12 to having basically a mob boss from New Jersey. And he is from, you know, he comes from New Jersey and he dresses like a mob boss and he acts that way. And so on that front, I feel really good about the leadership of the conference. The other thing that your mark is pushing on, and I, I love that he's vocal. Because I think most Big Hill fans the last several years have been like, why aren't we doing something? At least Yarmark is out there doing something. He does believe there is uh, that the basketball product is undervalued. And, we, you know, TC or the, the Big 12 is not the SEC in terms of football, but they are the number one basketball conference in the country. And bringing in Houston and bringing in Arizona will only, you know, lift that up. It will only bolster that that uh, recognition as the best conference. He talks about finding ways to decouple football from basketball. And, and you know, what, what if they had uh, – what if Turner Sports had the Big 12 basketball package? And you'd have Kansas and Baylor, and then the, in the 8 o'clock game, you'd have Arizona and uh, Houston. That would be must-see TV for people that love college basketball, and it would be a national um, an opportunity to generate revenue and build the brand. What you can't do is pretend as if um, every team in the Big 12 is going to land five-star defensive linemen. They're going to Georgia, they're going to LSU, they're going to Alabama. What you can do is find other ways to generate revenue, and it looks like Brett Yormark is doing that. And I think that's the best decision the Big 12 has made in in the, in the midst of, of, of everything that has happened. I, I was talking to a friend of mine. I was posting on our message board today. When Oklahoma and Texas left, I literally thought it's the end of the Big 12. And it's an in, the end for everybody on the I-35 spine except for Kansas. I figured they'd get swooped up by somebody. And here the Big 12 is looking to go to 16 and, and bringing in quality programs that are going to be able to produce some of them on the football field, some of them on basketball, hopefully some of them both. But I feel like the Big 12 is in a strong position in spite of everything that's gone on. One thing I like to do, and part of the reason I do have this podcast, is because I like looking at the conferences. I like looking at the different cultures of the conferences. And I think one of the best points that you made there is that, hey, the Big 12 is the fun conference now. I think yes. everyone in it's going to be excited. Even if they're not good at football, they can have that potential in basketball. And I feel like in these other big conferences, like the Big Ten, the SEC, yes, you're getting all of these names, but how good are some of these TV products going to be if you're having like, because not, you can't have 10 teams in one con- in a 16 team conference win 10 games. Like those four teams in the Pac 12 that are joining the, um, that are joining the Big Ten. Three of them won like 10 plus games last year. That's not going to happen in the new conference. And even though you are going to that conference, even though you are getting all of that money, your fans, I think overall are just not going to be as happy because the, I mean, some of them are, but your amount, your ability to succeed in that conference is going to be so much less. And maybe it doesn't matter for the football side of it because maybe an eight and four team is good enough to make a 12 team playoff. And then we're going to have these weird debates where it's an eight and four big 10 team versus a 10 and two big 12 team. And I'm, I'm not looking forward to having those debates because that's not fun. But I think we've talked enough about that. Why don't we talk about TCU football? Last year, obviously, Sonny Dykes takes over. 
transforms the program in a way, revolutionizes the revolutionizes the offense, and TCU goes on this amazing run, gets to the national championship game. That doesn't end, you know, I don't think there was any good moments in that game for TCU. About a year, I guess we're like, what, six, seven, eight months removed from that. What are your emotions about last season? How do you feel about it all overall? It's the season every fan really wishes they could experience unless, you know, you're an Alabama, Georgia, or Ohio State fan. I mean, like when all these years, I'm 48 now, and all these years of, of living and dying with TCU football, you know, TCU was so close to, to being on the big stage numerous times. And, you know, when they were in the, in the Mountain West, and then, you know, think about 2014 when they got left out of the playoff, which is a team I, I will argue was better than the, the 2022 team that played for the national championship. I will go to my grave believing that. This season was just a roller coaster of joy. I mean, it wasn't like they just came in and blew everybody out. I mean, that Michigan game in the in the semifinals in the Fiesta Bowl, it was the big stage. It was a big brand. It was an undefeated Big Ten team. This was not like some team that snuck into the playoffs uh, with a big helmet. This is a this was an undefeated Big Ten team that had just spanked Ohio State. But what the experience was in that game was similar to like five or six other games that TCU fans experienced that year. Think about the way that the Baylor game ended. Um, you know, rushing out on the field to kick a game-winning field goal as the clock was was winding down to be our blood rival. I think about uh, the, the Oklahoma State game that goes into double overtime. This is not before the pokes folded later in the season. This is number six, undefeated, halfway through the season, Oklahoma State. And TCU beats Oklahoma State, who at that moment I thought – they're going to win the Big 12. Like that, there were games that were there were just back and forth. TCU loved to go, you know, get behind and then come roaring back in the second half with electric moments and highlights that I have watched on YouTube a few too many times than I care to admit on this podcast. And so the season was just pure delight. And so I, you know, I went to the national championship game with with friends that I've known and loved for years. I was there with so many TCU fans. It sucked, and at the same time. TCU played for the national championship and everything that led up to that moment, I will not allow anyone to take away from me and and from our fan base for what we got to experience. I could go through two thirds of the SEC that will never experience what TCU did that year, which was get in the playoff, win a playoff game, go to the national championship, and they would have traded spots with us. It, it, they would have, it, they'll lie to your face, but in their heart, they would have given anything to have the season that TCU had. I like to go with the homage of what Shakespeare always said. It's better to have loved and lost and never to have loved at all. TCU did get yes. blown out in the title game, but also go back and look at just a lot of national title games. That's just kind of what happens a lot of times. Like LSU blew out Clemson. Uh, Alabama's blown out Notre Dame multiple times. That's I remember... USC just blowing the doors off Oklahoma. I think that was 2004. They just blew the door. Like, why is Oklahoma even in this game? But that the talking point is going to remain a lot longer for TCU than it was for those other teams. Yeah, I've, Florida blew out Oklahoma. It's just a thing that happens in the sport. Go back to the 80s, 90s. That's just, that's just how the sport's kind of designed in a way where sometimes one team can get ahead early and then it's just kind of like an avalanche and one team ends up just dominating for four quarters. I want yeah. to talk about the quarterback that led the team last year, Max Duggan. He was obviously an Iowa person. We are both Iowa people. And starting for three years at TCU, 
a little bit underwhelming. He had some good moments, but there was a reason that he wasn't the starter heading into last season. That was Chandler Morris. Chandler Morris obviously gets hurt. Duggan comes in, and then it's kind of like a rocket ship goes off. After last season, and maybe you're the right person to ask this, does that, with that run, and I think he probably he probably should have been considered more for the Heisman than he did. Is he now considered the best TCU quarterback ever, or does that title still belong to Andy Dalton? Uh, well, there's lots of ways to measure that. He's a better he's 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 a better quarterback than Andy Dalton, just in terms of what he accomplished. And I I absolutely love Andy Dalton. You know, we do have a Heisman Trophy winner back in the 30s from uh, Davy O'Brien, where the Davy O'Brien Award is named for. And uh, Sammy Ball is in the college and NFL Hall of Fame. I do have a bias about really not, you know, lifting up things pre-integration because it was, uh, well, it was segregated and the best play, some of the best players were not able to play. But he, I, I think you have to put Max, uh, Max Duggan in the modern era as the greatest quarterback in the history of TCU because uh, of just that one season. Of just, you know, just the 2022 season alone of being, he was the runner up for the Heisman. I kind of wish he, I, there's, there's a conspiracy theory that if they would have gotten that quarterback sneak across the line in the Big 12 title game, that that could have put him, put him past Williams to win the title. I don't know if that's true, but, uh, yeah, Andy Dalton's, I mean, uh, Andy Dalton's great, but Max Duggan's the greatest quarterback because of that one season. Now I want to go ahead now and transition looking into this season. Obviously, we know that. Offensive coordinator goes to Clemson. Duggan's gone. Quentin Johnson's gone. Kendry Miller, the leading rusher last year, is gone. Kendall Riles comes in as the new OC. He was really good at running the football when he was at Arkansas. They were having a few 2,000-yard total offensive rushing seasons. Is this going to be an offense this year that we look at for TCU, and they are going to be more run-heavy, or is this going to be your typical Sonny Dykes, we're chucking it all over the field type of team? One of the things that is often um, placed upon Bryles, Kendall Bryles, as well as the whole Bryles tree, as as well as uh, Art from when he was at Baylor, was this myth that they just love to throw the ball. But there has always been a strong uh, ground game component to, you know, some people call it the veer and shoot, some people call it the Baylor offense, but there's always been a strong ground game component to it. But I, everything coming out of camp just the first few days, as well as the talking points from media days and, and, and what people I trust are saying, I not only expect them to be able to throw, uh, run the ball, but there is going to be much more of a vertical attack with Chandler Morris and that he, his precision to connect downfield – uh, I think I think is going to be highlighted. They'll be, they'll be able to run the ball. I think they're going to have a running back by committee. But my hunch is that you're actually going to see them try to light it up down the field more in uh, more consistently, not just with play calling, but with their ability to connect down the field um, with with the deep ball. So I'll be curious to see how that shakes out, and especially in that Colorado game. Colorado has five scholarship defensive linemen. They might just, you know, it's that that game. Colorado has five defensive linemen on scholarship. It's eleven o'clock kickoff in Fort Worth on Labor Day weekend. It's going to be a hundred and three at kickoff. They might just run the ball eighty times and see if they will fold up at, at halftime. So I don't know how much we're going to get out of that first game. And you know, talking trash like that surely is going to set up for a jinx. But I expect TCU to be able to run the ball. But do not be surprised if there's more than a, a Quinton Johnson type receiver that they're able to stretch the field with that is baked into the DNA of the offense. 
You mentioned Chandler Morris there. And he was obviously, as I mentioned earlier, the starter at the beginning of last season. He was the starter for the reason over Duggan. Can you tell us, because he's played a little bit before, but can you tell us like what kind of a quarterback he is when people tune in to watch TCU this season? If you go back and watch the highlights of the 2021 TCU Baylor game, that was Chandler Morris's uh it was his first start. It was a coming out game. And it was the first game after Gary Patterson had been fired. And TCU beat Baylor and probably kept them out of the playoff for, for winning that game. I think you're going to see with Chandler Morris the ability to, like I said, connect downfield. He does not have the high, the high gear that Max does. When Max got going, nobody was going to catch him from behind. But he is quick. He, he, the guy can wiggle. And I, 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 you know, just in the highlights from just that 21 game, he knows what to do with the ball in his hand in terms of, of picking up yardage, knowing when to get down. We Everybody knows that Max Duggan was not the starter coming out of camp last year. But what also doesn't get talked about is after Chandler Morris got healthy and rehabbed and was back as the number two quarterback halfway through the season, he still looked better than Duggan in practice. This was this is a common this is common knowledge that Chandler Morris always looked better than Max in practice pre injury post injury and so how how that's going to translate you know none of us know but I I have pretty high expectations for Chandler Morris this year he's seasoned he's been in, in he had Lincoln Riley and Sonny Dykes as his quarterback coaches so we'll see how, and Garrett Riley and now he's got Kendall Bryles if if you can't thrive with that combo I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I was looking at TCU's roster this year because, as I mentioned earlier, they have lost quite a bit, but they have entered the transfer portal, gotten a few guys to replace a few guys from Alabama. I think a former five-star running back from Alabama looks like he's going to be the head rushing attack leader for TCU this year. I feel like my, my thing on transfer portal people is like every person that comes through the transfer portal, there's no, there's never been a person that's a team has required acquired from the transfer portal that people say sucks. So that's just go, go to go go, seriously, go through and look at like every single like like preseason report on somebody. It's like oh the guy. This is the guy we from, need. He's the missing link. Yeah, it's like okay, well, some people just transfer for a reason. There is the pedigree thing of guys transfer from certain schools. Who are these people that are going to be replacing guys like Quentin Johnson this year and Kendra Miller because they were huge parts of this team, even though Max Duggan was kind of like the leader of everything. All right, well, here's two guys that are not from Alabama that I feel like their schools hated that they left and are going to come and contribute on the offensive side of the ball for TCU. One of them is John Paul Richardson, who played wide receiver at Oklahoma State. And if you watch the TCU-Oklahoma State game, he was uh, lighting up our best corners, both of whom were first-team all-conference, one of whom was the Thorpe Award winner in Trey Hodges-Tomlinson. John Paul Richardson, uh, I don't know what – you know, I'm, I'm going to listen to the podcast you have if you talk about Oklahoma State because that is the biggest question mark because they lost all their talent. Richardson, the reports of him out of practice are all he has done is continue to thrive as he's gotten on campus. So I think John Paul Richardson is – we call him the Pope on our message board, but Pope John Paul Richardson is going to be a contributor at a high level this season. And then I will also give you a name that not everybody's talking about, but Jack Besh from LSU. He can play some combo of H-back, slot, and LSU did not want him to leave. And he came to TCU, and he is also a big, strong, great-handed receiver. 
And JoJo Earl from Alabama, I think he's going to have some highlights. I'm, I believe in Savion Williams, who is coming back as a couple of your starter. I think he's going to be a, a high-level contributor. But look for the guys from LSU and from Oklahoma State, not Alabama, to be the, 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 the guys that Channel Morris are looking for on third and seven because I think they're going to be able to contribute right away. And it's proven that in the practice reports. One of the funner things that I did last season was I was looking through, especially when TCU started to get really good, I was looking at Sonny Dykes' time at Cal. And those were a lot of interesting teams where they just scored a bunch of points and they threw for a bunch of yards and they had one of the most statistically impressive offenses every single year with Jared Goff. Uh, I think Davis Webb was maybe the other quarterback that he had there. But on the inverse of that, they also had one of the worst defenses. TCU did have a little bit more of a defensive base than Cal probably ever had at his time there. The defense wasn't as, you know, good last year as you'd maybe want it to be, but the offense was always there to like come back. If the defense gave up a score, the offense typically would come back and answer. Has the defense going into this year, has it gotten better? Has it gotten worse? Or is it going to kind of stay the same? I think that, I think the defense is going to improve. Obviously they lost, um, some, you know, Dylan Horton at defensive end to the draft, D winners to the draft, uh, Trey Hodges Tomlinson to the draft. Those are three impact players at all three levels. But everybody else is coming back. And they're also bringing back uh, Shadrach Banks, who is not listed as a starter, but has seen nothing but quality snaps and is, is a key contributor at defense, at, at linebacker as well. And so I have high expectations for the defense this year. And, you know, Gillespie, Joe, Joe Gillespie, who uh, Sonny Dykes hired from Tulsa, brought him in and installed a 3-3-5. Patterson had played a 4-2-5 from the day that he arrived on campus from New Mexico. And I think it took a little time for everybody to adjust to that. But there's already been uh, conversations about tweaks and improvements that they've been able to make from the defensive uh, calls and the formation that they're going to be able to line up in. I have confidence that the defense is going to take a step forward in the way that everybody that takes a glance at the program believes the offense is going to take a step back. If you just have, you know, an uncritical view of the defense, every, you know, so many contributors are returning that, that are on the highlight tapes of beating Michigan, that are on the highlight tapes of, of shutting down uh, Bijan Robinson in Texas. And, and that, that team back, a second, that side of the ball back with so many, and their ability to gel in their second season, I feel really confident about what the defense is going to be able to do this year. TCU, as we've discussed, it looks like the offensive skill positions have reloaded. Quarterback back, experienced, has you know some wisdom under his belt. Offensive coaches are there. If the defense improves, should we not be thinking TCU could potentially make a run at the Big 12 this year? They obviously lost the championship game to Kansas State, but I'm kind of thinking about them right now. You look at the preseason Big 12 poll, they're fifth behind Texas, K-State, Oklahoma, Texas Tech. A little bit the Texas Tech thing, I think, is the schedule because they yeah. have like one of the easiest schedules in the conference. That's also a weird wild card this year with the Big 12 where there's no <laughs> rhyme or reason to the schedule. So some teams have very, very easy – because some teams I read their roster and I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm in on it. And then I look at their schedule I'm like, oh, that's why their win total is supposed to be that high. So should we are, – are people sleeping on TCU to make another run at the Big 12 title this year? TCU has Texas, Oklahoma – uh, Tech, Kansas State, Baylor, Iowa State. I mean, that right there, 
I don't know that anybody else is playing that that match that combination of teams. And so I, I think the schedule's pretty tough for TCU. There's no other way to say it. Uh, never underestimate Texas Tech's ability to not get out of their own way. And so I have just let that hype train run and let everybody keep going and, you know, push them up into the clouds with high expectations. You know, everything is going to run through Lubbock this year. I have some serious doubts about that. I have some serious doubts about that. TCU, like most of the Big 12, could have a 9-3 and three season. Or they could go seven and five. Now, I'm, I would bet nine and three. If those were my two choices, I'd take nine and three every day in terms of wagering. But, you know, there's so much in flux in the Big 12, and I don't think TCU is immune to that. That said, I think TCU is going to um, I think TCU is going to finish ahead of uh, Texas Tech. You talk about easy schedules. Oklahoma has a cakewalk in that. That is a cakewalk that they have. That's why if TCU is having a good season, that last game on uh, Thanksgiving weekend in Norman could have some huge implications. So we'll see where that's at. Um, but I, I, I don't see any reason why TCU can't be in the Big 12 race come November, which in reality, when you got a 14-team conference and two spots that you're fighting for, and, and Texas is the clear front runner, I wouldn't be surprised if there's five teams in the beginning of November that have a, a, a above 40% chance of making the playoff. Or, you know, that, 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 that there's, I mean, uh, excuse me, I'm making the Big 12 title game. I'm sure my percentages are off there, but have a clear shot in if they do what they're supposed to do. That's what I noticed too, looking at TCU's schedule, because probably you could argue their five toughest games are going to be their last five games. So mm-hmm. there's a very good yes. chance that they enter that, uh, what what's their eighth game? After the BYU game going into Manhattan, you could very well into be Man- six and one or seven and oh. But then it all depends how you finish that back half of the season. Depends the amount of depth and injuries, you know, because that's always a factor. One thing, too, that I've been, I guess I'll ask this question to you. So the four new schools, we have BYU, who has Kalani Sataki, who has been doing a pretty good job there. But BYU has been in a weird situation where they haven't necessarily had the money or resources being in the independent the past decade to, like, really, they do get a lot of, you know, uh Utah born and raised boys and they're there until they're like 24. So that's always an Mm -hmm. advantage that they have. Then you have Houston who is Dana Holgerson, who is, if he doesn't do good this year, there's a good chance he's out of here. You have Cincinnati. I have a a friendly bet. I have a friendly bet that Garrett Riley is the next head coach at Houston next year. Ooh. Ooh. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I think Dana's gone. Ooh, that'd be interesting. I'd like that. That sounds yeah. fun. Let's make that happen. Then you have UCF, who uh, has Gus Malzahn, who's been there a few years now. He's been recruiting pretty well. We'll see how they go. But again, going to a different conference, I think they have, at least win-loss-wise, the last two years in the American, have underachieved a little bit for UCF. Then you have Cincinnati, who is replacing Luke Fickle with Scott Satterfield, who, if you look at Scott Satterfield at Louisville, he was just all kinds of frustrated and all kinds of inconsistent. I think there's a very UCF's the one that seems the most certain to be that could like maybe make a little bit of noise this year. But I think the other three could just potentially be really bad. And at the bottom, you know, third of this conference. Yeah. Houston and Cincinnati are in transition just in different ways. Not only going from the AAC to the big 12, you know, as as you said, Satterfield coming up, I think Dana is, is on the hottest of the hot seats. 
Um, UCF is, is the one uh, best set up to be able to step into the Big 12 and, and maybe go 8-4 and four this year. That would, that would not surprise me, not the least of which is they have Gus Malzahn, and Gus Malzahn is a great coach. And so they, they're in the best recruiting uh, – they're, they're in a great spot to recruit um, there in Orlando. My, my BYU prediction is that they could go 6-6 six and six and beat Texas. You know, like they have that – you mentioned that 24, throw in a COVID year, 26-year-old man who's got three kids and has been in the weight program since he was 17 that, you know, he just might be able to decide tonight's the night I'm going to beat up a four-star junior or sophomore from Houston, and tonight's the night we're going to beat, beat Texas. So I think BYU could, could make that leap in moments. I don't think they can do it over the season. Let's talk about Texas because that is a team that – since TCU's joined the Big 12, they've had Texas's number, and they've been able to beat them time and time again. Texas this year, though, it seems a little different. I think this is the most talented team since Mac Brown. They've been recruiting well on the offense and defense. Quinn Ewers might be the best quarterback since Vince Young. That's the potential of him. Will he end up being that? We'll see. That remains to be, you know, we'll, we'll see how the season shakes out that way. It seems like this is a Texas team this year might actually be worth the hype. What do you think of them? Somebody watch the Alamo Bowl where they got beat by Washington and tell me that Quinn Ewers is the best quarterback of Texas since Vince Young. They their 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 ceiling is higher than anybody in the conference, higher than Oklahoma, surely higher than TCU. Steve Sarkeesian has been the head coach of Washington USC and Texas and has never won 10 games. How is that even possible? And so I, they're, I think they'll probably make the big 12 title game. Do I, um, I, I never underestimate Texas's ability to choke when the expectations are high. So I think they're going to make the big 12 title game. I also think eight and four is quite possible. The thing with Texas is, Ever since I've been going to football games, I've been going to Big 12 football games since like 2006. They have always been, maybe it's something with the uniforms that they wear, but it's always they get off the bus and you see them practicing and warming up and you've been like, even their bad years, by the way, they're always very physically impressive and they always have talent. And even these years when they're going seven and five or five and seven or eight and four, they're losing. They just, the thing with Texas is they lose to teams that they shouldn't. They go to Iowa State and they lose. They lose to TCU multiple times. They should be – they lose to Texas Remember Tech when they sometime. lost to Kansas two years ago? I, I bet on that. Yes. I became – I won $200 off of that game. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and that's basically the question mark for me with Texas is, all right, cool. They could pro- like they could beat Alabama this year. They, they certainly have a chance. They're talented enough. But what's going to happen when they play Kansas? What's going to happen when BYU comes to town? That's the biggest question to me with Texas. Can they can they just be consistent through 12 games of a season? And that's, you know, if they can do that, then they should be winning the Big 12 this year without a doubt. And that hasn't, what you just described, has not taken place since 2009. That, what is that, a 13-year drought? They yeah. have not been, they have not been able to play consistently at what, Bud, you know, Bud Elliott calls peak efficiency since um, Colt McCoy got hurt. So I, I am not high on that happening. And I also think they're the most talented uh, team in the Big 12. And if I had a vote, I would have voted them number one. I would have too. Yep. Another team that I'm looking at this year that I'm not 
necessarily sure on Oklahoma because you have Brett Venables here. He takes over last year. Lincoln Riley takes a lot of people with him to USC. A lot of players also leave on that team. So maybe it was a little bit of a transition year. You could definitely see Venables had a lot of growing pains as being a head coach last year. Oddly enough, other than the last TCU game that Iowa State played, I'd say Oklahoma was weirdly enough the most impressive team that I saw Iowa State play last year. And again, we all kind of view things through the scope of our own team to a degree. (laughs) They really hit hard the transfer portal this year. You said they had a very, very easy schedule. Could Oklahoma potentially make a run at a Big 12 title this year in their last year? I, they absolutely could. They absolutely could. They have the softest schedule. Um, by, by no fault of their own, their non-conference is trash. They did have a home-and-home home schedule with Georgia. And when that uh, when they moved to the, announced the move to the SEC, they, they kind of had to cancel that from the SEC office. So I'd, I don't fault them for that. So I, I think they could very well be in the Big 12 title game. There might be a team or two better than them, but because of the way the schedule was able to shake out, that they're in a they're in a in a in the catbird seat to be able to make the most of that opportunity. I think the question is, if if we go to the you know just the larger picture of college football, we got to talk about Dabo Sweeney assistance because Venables did not look good in his first year. Chad Morris has washed out. Tony Scott has washed out. Tony Elliott, uh, you know, I know their program had a tragic event at the end of the season but no one was no one was impressed with what UVA was doing into early November so there has not been a a strong there are not strong branches from the Dabo Sweeney tree and Venables uh fits easily into that narrative after season one you know they, watching them get blown out by TCU watching them get shut out in Red River I've never seen an Oklahoma team uh come out so poorly in Red River all these years that I've watched it so I think Oklahoma will likely go nine and three, ten and two, uh, but I think it's going to be some smoke and mirrors that was get handed to him by the Big Twelve office. I, I agree with that last point too. Is like it's almost like they got to pick their schedule. It's like yeah. you, Oklahoma, you just pick you pick the nine teams you want to play in the conference this year. You obviously have a few that you have to play, but you get to pick the rest. And the interesting part with Oklahoma to me too is they're getting ready to head into the SEC. And if this is another because again, you know, even though that that's kind of the fun thing with the Big Twelve, I feel like you can beat every team, but you can also lose to every team in this conference. So especially Absolutely. the way it was, that was especially the way it was in the ten team conference. I think it's still this way right now in the four or yeah, we have fourteen teams this year. And I with Oklahoma too. Getting back to my point, they could be if they slip up a little bit this year and they go seven and five, even if they go eight and four, nine and three, they could be entering this SEC gauntlet that they could be going into with a lot of question marks at their head coach and it's just so I, I talk to people at the SEC a lot it's so easy to slip down that ladder in that conference recruiting mm-hmm. wise talent wise um, coaching wise and look at Florida if, exactly exactly they're, they're relying on Graham Mertz to be their quarterback this year yeah there's your problem Graham Mertz was terrible at Wisconsin <laughs> yes <He> was terrible <laughs> But, you know, I think about OU, especially for 2023, you know, their three biggest games, they've got obviously Red River, what what will likely be the last bedlam until, you know, hopefully the governor steps in and makes them play. And then, you know, they close the season out with TCU. After that, they, you know, those are the only three games that, that they won't, they, they'll be favored in the other nine and they could very well be favored in bedlam. But that last bedlam game is in Stillwater 
And I know Mike, they, Mike they Gundy, own Bedlam. They own Bedlam they against Gundy. They, they do. I am really curious if if Gundy can actually pull something off in his last uh, last game against Oklahoma. That's something I'm interested too, because Oklahoma State is very much a team that Gundy's not into the NIL stuff. He's not going to talk to people about it. They have been getting raided in the transfer portal in the last few years. TCU obviously took one of their wide receivers, as you were just mentioning earlier. Gundy, too, I mean, quarterback left. Gundy, too, also lost Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator. That was awesome a few years ago when they went and beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. I'm curious and I'm wondering, is this potentially the beginning of the end for Gundy? Because they are losing a lot of this talent that they've had over the last few years. But also, too, I never want to bet against Mike Gundy. Because even those years when you're like, "Ah, I don't know about Oklahoma State, they come out and they win nine games. What do you think Mm -hmm. Oklahoma State's going to be this year? He is tracking the last few years of Gary Patterson at TCU. I hate the changes to the game. I want my guys. I hate the transfer portal. Um, Patterson hated NIL. And so I think it's either going to be six and six or 10 and two like that. I mean, he's going to either pull a rabbit out of the hat and have some, you know, former division two defensive coordinator, which is who he usually goes and finds. That's going to be able to put together a great game plan. And he's going to have um, talented receivers that he's able to make the offense work for, or they're going to, they're going to go six and six. I don't think there's really any middle ground. There's rarely middle ground in terms of the way Oklahoma state plays. So I, I can't I can't decide which way uh, which 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 of those two ways I feel pulled, but I don't think there's going to be any middle ground. It's either going to be all the fans are claiming for Gundy to be gone, or he's going to have you know one of those seasons that we all know he's capable of and pulls up like you said, just when you think he's done. Well, last year too, a huge game that kind of is kind of fun to look back on is what was that the fifth or sixth week of the season last year. TCU-Oklahoma State matching, top 10 matchup. And then TCU went on, went undefeated in the regular season, and Oklahoma State really struggled. Now, that was because the quarterback got injured for Oklahoma State. But you could also make an argument for Oklahoma State last year. If Sanders is healthy all 12 games, maybe they're a team playing for the Big 12 title game instead of Kansas State. So yeah. I'm really not well, sure. Well, you know, they beat, they beat Can- I mean, they beat Texas, and then they got, what was it, 45 to nothing against Kansas State? I mean, they just got meleeed, you know, knocked to the ground in that game. So there's th- those are your two choices right there for Oklahoma State in 2023. Jeff, there's a few things when I have people on for the first time that I like to ask. It's one of those things, too, where I talk about like, hey, I was talking about earlier. I like getting the gauge of how people view stuff in other conferences. And a few things I want to ask, too, about TCU for example, Iowa State. Now, this is a little differently now because you're in the Big 12. TCU has been in the conference for a while. There was a stretch for maybe like 10 years where Iowa State, for whatever reason, could just not beat Kansas State. They always play, like the talent always seems similar. Like it was from like 07 to like until Campbell's second or third year that they were just losing every year to Kansas State. Is there any sort of teams that TCU annually struggles with that maybe people? You know, you, you play them and you're like, hmm, why are we, you know, always struggling against this team? Or like this game's coming up and people are like all around the country are saying, oh, TCU should handle them pretty easily. And all the TCU fans know, hey, we actually struggle against this team. For us, that's West Virginia. I mean, we had, I can't, I can't quote it off the top of my head. We had not, I don't think we had beaten West Virginia since 
2019, 2018. Like we just have, that was the Frogs' first win in Morgantown since 2014. I know that off the top of my head. That was the first time the Frogs had won in Morgantown since 2014. West Virginia has consistently been a, a team with less talent, um, you know, some some coaches that are on the hot seat, and the Frogs could never beat them. And so when when TCU, you know, people forget that game at, at West Virginia was a nail biter this year. Um, the score um, was larger. I mean, the the margin of victory was larger because they they scored a touchdown as the clock was running out. But West Virginia is the team that TCU fans are aware of the way that Iowa State fans were aware of K State in that run. What do you think is the most annoying team to deal with? Not not even necessarily. How about this? Most annoying fan base to deal with in the Big Twelve. Oh, I think it's got to be Texas Tech. It's got to be Texas Tech. There, there's no fan base that is more proud of a of a collection of sand that exists as is Lubbock, Texas. Um, what is your, here's my favorite game. What's your favorite ten win season for Texas Tech? Did did Mike Leach have one? One. Oh wait. What's your favorite top ten finish for Texas Tech? Hmm. That would be none. I'm guessing they haven't had one. They have never had one. No. They've never had one. They've never played in a BCS or New Year's Six Bowl. They've never made a B, you know, they've never, let alone, won one. So there, there is no fan base that has a more inflated vision of themselves compared to what's accomplished on the field. And I'm including Texas than Texas Tech fans. Interesting. I kind of got that little vibe from you earlier when you were talking yes. about the hype of them before the season. Yeah, I also feel like I should have responded 2023 when you said favorite top 10 finish. Yes. Oh, that's right. That's right. Now, now let me, let me put this out there. They're great to have in the Big 12. You want a fan base where you go to their stadium and they throw batteries and throw ice. And, and the, beer the cans. Mytho- yeah, beer cans. Tortillas. The mythology. Tortillas. The tortillas are great. The mythology that I've heard, I've never seen the picture. I've just read it on a message board, so it has to be true, was um, – Leach beat A&M in Lubbock against Francione, and the the Tech fans rushed the field, ripped the goalpost down, and then pushed the goalpost into the Aggie band section. And that is part of what makes college football great. Texas Tech this year, I've said this a few other times on my podcast, I'm really, I'm circling that Oregon game week too. I'm circling it. Oregon's coming into Texas Tech. Texas Tech quarterback, Shuck. Former Oregon player, been in Texas Tech for a while now. I feel like they have a really good shot of winning that game. People, people too, I'll talk to people outside of the conference. I had, one, I had somebody say this the other day, and I was talking about this game. It, it was someone in the Pac-12 I was talking to, and I was like, oh, that game should be pretty high scoring. I'm like, actually, this Texas Tech defense is pretty good. They have yeah. a lot of talent on that team. And Joey McGuire has actually done a pretty good job. Again, can they compete for a conference title? That remains to be seen. But can they win a few games here or there that might shock some people? I think they can. I think Tech would be in the category of where Iowa State was in, you know, 25th, you know, when, when, when Campbell finally got things going. He, he could, he, they could beat Oklahoma. And everybody like, whoa, they could beat TCU in that 2017 season. And then lose a couple of games that you're like, how in the world did this happen? They can be ranked. They can be competitive. Um, that was like 2021 for Iowa State. Yeah. Yeah. How high can the ceiling go? That's the question. 
Yeah, that was 2021 for Iowa State where they were really, really good at home, but then they lose to Texas Tech in Lubbock. They lose to West Virginia in Morgantown. Mm-hmm. And those few losses there really kind of derailed the season and then you know, made Brock Purdy Mr. Irrelevant. If he has a good season, maybe he's drafted a little higher and then maybe mm-hmm. he doesn't play in the NFC Championship game. Jeff, I think we, we've been talking for about 45 minutes now. I think we should probably get out of here. I feel like we could be talking for three hours if we wanted to. Why don't you tell everybody where we can find all of your work, and then we'll head out of here. You can track me down on Twitter at the Frogcast TCU or X, excuse me. You can I still call it Twitter. Track me down there. I follow. I'll follow back. Um, I'm fun and lighthearted, and enjoy college football for in the spirit of what it is. And if you haven't yet, if you want to know everything about TCU football, go to HornFrogBlitz.com. Uh, easy way to stay connected to everything that's going on inside of big uh, TCU and the big 12. We've had some massive realignment conversations. Jamie Plunkett, one of the editors and writers on our board, he has been pretty plugged into what's going on in realignment. And uh, he is one of my two go-to guys to kind of get a sense of, of, of the landscape. So we'd love for you to stop by and uh, learn a little more about TCU football. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Okay, that is going to do it for the podcast today. Thank you again for listening. Make sure you follow me and on X at jdmajor2, Instagram, jwsdetective for updates on the podcast and when we are releasing episodes. Make sure you check out all Jeff's stuff. Follow the podcast on whatever app you're listening this to if you want updates on the show. Again, we are cranking them out. I'm recording a Saturday podcast. That is how much I'm cranking out. We are talking to somebody tomorrow. I've got a podcast, at least two podcasts lined up for next week. And then we are going to really, really get into the preview stuff for the college football season. And as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time.